Everybody read? Yes. Yep. All right, Justin. You can either sing me a song about things that are little or about the city of Miami. Hmm. Choices, choices. Eh, we'll go with that that Will Smith song, that Welcome to Miami. I'm going to Miami. Something, I think it's Spanish, something Miami. There we go. That We'll go with that. All right, Justin, you will get one point, and I will now reveal a secret. There is a way to get two points on this challenge, but you only get one. Oh, there's a song about little things and Miami, huh? No, there's not. But there's oh. just one specific song I'm looking for, and if you actually get it, then you get two points. Because it's a very specific uh, song. Very. Got you. And you didn't get it. And the thing is, Justin, is you actually do know this song. Or you have heard it before. Uh, I'll say that much. I know you have. Um, Heather, your turn. Go. I'm really bummed out because I was going to do that Will Smith song. It's going to be my pick. Um, so either about little things or the city of Miami. Okay. Um, all the small things. True care. Truth brings. How's that? I don't know. That's about small things and not little things. Justin. Small and little are the same. Eh, I like that song. She can have it. Yes. All right. So, Heather, you get a point. Clearly, it wasn't what you were thinking of. But. No, it was not. <laughs> the specific song I was looking for is technically the theme song to the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, The You, part one. And the song was called The You mm. by Uncle Luke. Mm. Yeah, mm. I definitely would not I have, have heard uh, gotten that. that. You have heard that one. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> it's pretty safe to say if I mentioned anything with Miami... And you say anything that's about the you, you're going to get bonus points. That's all I'm saying. You Damn, also could have saying, think of that. You ought to know by uh, by Trick Daddy, which was the same theme song for the you part two. OK, uh, then. Okay. Yeah, I would have lost that. Exactly. And there was actually there was another secret song that you actually could have gotten three points with. Oh, boy. What is that? And that song is called Turnover Chain by the Honorable. Solo D, which is about the University hmm. of Miami's turnover chain, obviously. But the reason why that was a three-point song is because that's a super deep cut. It's a super deep cut. <laughs> Good to know. I only know it exists because I am a University of Miami fan, you know. So that's why you would have gotten three points. But I don't blame anybody for not knowing that one because <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's about cut. 57 people that know it exists. Mm. So, but... There you go, guys. I am just so kind and merciful tonight with both of you receiving points. Well, thank you so much. I did not get the adoration that I was expecting. Next week's going to be so hard. <laughs> Next week's oh, going to no. be so much harder <laughs> now. I was looking for adoration and love for my mercifulness. And then all I got was Heather sounding slightly sarcastic with it. Oh. And Justin just Maybe being that's silent. that's just my voice. Which I don't know what's worse. Sarcasm or silence. <laughs> the, you got that wicked combo you got both i know <laughs> and no heather i know what your sincere voice sounds like we hear it when you talk about that's, tom hanks <laughs> that's probably true that was my um courteous work voice when i'm talking to customers thank you so much yeah like i said <laughs> sarcasm voice 
Did we do a Tom Hanks movie recently? Monsters and Mazes. Oh, Mazes, Mazes and, and Monsters. Monsters. Sorry. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Be, yeah be. So no, we did not. We did not do a Tom Hanks movie. I was just Big as monsters. soon as I said Tom Hanks, I was like, I remember distinctly bringing him up recently. Why? I could not remember why though. And now it makes sense. It was that movie. Got it. Got it. <laughs> but according to you, we really like we didn't watch a Tom Hanks movie. It was like not it was like no, it was the only real Tom Hanks movie and all the others are just a clone of Tom Hanks. Yes, because it's not the same person. It's not. Yeah. It's not the same motherfucker that's been in other movies. <laughs> that motherfucker is not the same guy that was in the Carly Rae Jepsen music video for I Like You. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's not the same guy. Some of his best work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I what, fucking love that Three-time Oscar winner? And I love that music video. I think it is just utterly yeah, delightful. Too. Him walking around New York lip syncing her song yeah i love that video that's fun i i think that's infinitely better work than what uh mazes and monsters because you know what i <laughs> will never forget much. i will never forget that music video i'm gonna forget that movie in five minutes <laughs> mm. you clearly already forgot it yeah, you I already forgot that it. we talked about it and i own it i own that movie and i forgot it existed yep it'll do that to you oh man Mazes and fucking monsters. I have not played the but theme song yet. We really should get to that part of it, huh? Yes. Here we go. Yes. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we are talking about two movies. We're giving you a twofer here. We are going with the HBO Max slash theatrical release movie with Denzel Washington's uh, movie-ish thing called Little Things. And the Amazon Prime movie, One Night in Miami. And I forgot what order we said. We said little things first, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Man, I fucked up by bringing up mazes and monsters. I'm going to be fucked up all episode now. <laughs> Just memory lapses nonstop. <laughs> so as always, we will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with both those movies. We will go uh, spoiler free, give our recommendations and scores, and then go into a more spoiler centric section. And with time codes in the bottom to help you jump around if you haven't watched one of the movies or if you just want to get to the spoiler or avoid the spoiler sections, time codes will be in the description and we will be able to go from there. So with that, like I forgot but was reminded, we are doing little things first and I'm going to choose Heather to start this one. Heather, what are your spoiler free thoughts on the Warner Brothers HBO Max theatrical release, Little Things, or The Little Things, something Little Things. Oh, boy. This is a tough one because, you know, you, you just, I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily expect it was going to be fantastic, but due to the um, talented cast of people that were in it, I expected better than it was. Um, so take that for what it's worth. All that to say, this is super lacking. Um, it's unfortunately extremely boring. And there's just 
a lot of nothingness that happens. Like they give you points in the story um, that you you're supposed to care about, but then it, it's just like they don't give you enough of anything to really care about one specific thing in this movie, really. And they do not have very well fleshed out characters or story. Um, it's it's a mess. This movie feels like a mess to me. And it's it's just really sad because like especially it's Denzel, you know, like you always want to like something Denzel does because he's Denzel Washington. And, you know, it's got, you know, Rami Malek and and Jared Leto. Like it's just got some really good people in it. You know, it's just but again, I think we've seen that before where you have amazingly talented people all in a movie together and the movie is just garbage. That's like a huge I feel like thing that happens a lot of times when you try to get a lot of good people in one movie and somehow it just ends up being a disaster of a movie. And unfortunately, that's what this one was for me. So that is that's my upfront take about it. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I can definitely feel where Heather's coming from with this one. Um I had seen a caught a couple of previews for this just like on TV or maybe floating around on social media. And when I saw the cast that was in it, you know, I was hopeful for it when I saw who was in it, because like Heather said, you know, you've got Denzel Washington, you've got Jared Leto and you got Rami Malek. And these are all people who we've seen have excellent performances in different movies. And they're, you know, they're all respected actors. Um, and all of them do have the ability to elevate material, you, you know, just an example of that was um, the, the, the Rami Malek movie where he played Freddie Mercury. I, I didn't think it was that great of a movie, but he had a great performance as Freddie Mercury. You know, these, these yeah. actors have, you know, they have all of them kind of have a history of, of elevating material sometimes, or at least showing up and being an unexpected surprise. Uh, Jared Leto. I remember the Dallas buyers club and how great Jared Leto was in that kind of, you know, was a minor character that kind of was one of the shining stars in that movie kind of stole the show in that movie for a lot of those scenes in that film with uh, Matthew, with him and Matthew McConaughey. So I've seen, and I mean, I don't have to say anything that hasn't already been said about Denzel. I mean, the, the guy can act his tail off. He's one of the best in the world to ever do it. Um, and, and I don't know anybody who would really debate with that. So you put all those things together and it sounds like the ingredients for something good. You know, you know, sometimes that's how it goes with food, too. Right. Like you hear a lot of good ingredients. Somebody goes, well, what are you making? And then they say a weird name and then they go, well, what's in it? And then every and then they tell you the ingredients. And sometimes it sounds like something that you would like to try. You're like, oh man, that all sounds like good stuff. It it, it seems like those things would go well together. Yeah, you know, uh, save me a piece of that. I want to try it whenever you make it. And this is like tasting that thing. And it's just like the most uneventful, not that it tastes bad, but I'm talking about something that just tastes so just mundane. 
And just, it's almost like it has no taste. And you're sitting there wondering how in the world did this person mix all these ingredients together? And the result was something that has no taste. (laughs) And I think that's the best way to describe this movie. Like, I mean, and it it makes me sad because I'm a big fan of like the old school noir mystery whodunit uh, cops and criminals thriller types of movies. And, you know, there have been plenty of these that have been great and have come out over the years. You know, Chinatown, uh, speaking of Denzel, Devil in a Blue Dress, uh, Seven, which we've talked about on this podcast, which this has... This mirrors seven in a lot of ways. And I'll get into that uh, when we get into the spoiler section. But, you know, this is a genre. This is a type of movie that I'm so down for, you know, uh, and and sometimes these movies can be a slow burn. And sometimes that's a good thing. You're collecting clues. You're finding out about your 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 heroes or your detectives or your policemen, you're trying to piece all of this together. And by the time you get to the end, it all comes to something satisfying when we and our heroes have solved the case. And man, this is just exactly what Heather said. It's just, it, it, it's got that noir feel. It's dark and it's brooding. But the problem is that it, it's the bad kind of brooding. It's slow. It just doesn't really move. And like Heather already said, it doesn't develop a lot of the characters and the plot points that it needs to. So it presents these things as if we're supposed to care about them. But I just had such a hard time investing because I didn't feel like I knew enough about certain things to invest. And then it gets to the end and it kind of tries to have this, uh, this thoughtful message and say this, have this message about obsession and this message about how, you know, your mind can make you think certain things. And then really it turns out to be another. And there, and I feel like there was kind of a message there or something that it was trying to say, but man, like, like that food with no taste, that's what happened here it just you just get to the end and you feel like it just said nothing <laughs> and then you you know and it's one of those kinds of move figure it out mystery movies where at the end of it you just kind of shrug your shoulders and go that's it you know that's actually what i said out loud when it got to the end that's it all of this time this 2 hour running time and this is the conclusions that we came to. So yeah, uh, all in all, just a very disappointing experience for me. I want to take your analogy, Justin, about ingredients and flavors and food to an, to a more specific level. Sure. My, my favorite type of burger is a very simple cheeseburger. We're talking about meat, cheese, onions, pickles, mustard, like what is considered the traditional cheeseburger. It's my favorite kind very basic ingredients you know and it's funny how you can go some places like i think mcdonald's getting just a a cheeseburger from mcdonald's with no ketchup is just a simple pleasure burger it's not the greatest thing in the world it's not the best burger ever but they take those simple ingredients and they just do it right so it's enjoyable i like eating it i agree this movie 
takes those same simple ingredients. You know, you, you've got a Denzel Washington. That should be good. You got a Rami Malik. Always down for a Rami Malik. I mean, like, ja I do agree with Justin. He was great in Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody sucked as a movie, but he was good. I love him from Mr. Robot. I love that show. Mm. I think he was fantastic in it. And then you have a Jared Leto, which I do understand. He has had some good acting roles. I had heard some bad stories about him and maybe possibly being a cult leader and having an island where he has brainwashed women that live there to worship him. I don't know if that's true or not. After I watched this movie, I was like, yep, that sure is fuck true. <laughs> so there's that. But it has, so it has these ingredients. And this movie is directed by uh, a decent director. I mean, he did Blindside, which was bad. Oh, he did something, though, that was really, really good. And I don't remember what it was. So I'm going to kind of loosely just say some words until I remember what this other movie was that he directed that was good. And I'm almost there. And that was the movie. Oh, The Founder. He directed The Founder, which oddly enough is about McDonald's. Go figure. That should have <laughs> been my like big clue. Yeah, he directed. Uh, That's a great. Yeah. And that's a great movie. I love that movie. I think it's fantastic. Michael Keaton is amazing in that movie. Um, so, yeah, this has got the ingredients. It's got a capable guy that puts it together. The problem is, is this movie's ingredients aren't at McDonald's. They're not at a nice local burger place or anything like that. The problem is, is this movie's ingredients are at Burger King. So they're assembling a <laughs> Burger King movie. And you know what Burger King is? Burger King is the food of desperation. <laughs> no one actually craves Burger King. When do you eat Burger King? When you feel like you're going to die from hunger, and that's the only thing you see. Wow. No one craves it, ever. And that's what this is. This is a movie that you're not going to crave this movie. You watch it out of desperation, of just thinking it's going to be good. Because it's, it's got all the same ingredients. You know, in my analogy, man, this has mustard. It's got the pickles. It's got the onions. It's got the meat, the cheese, that toasted bread. All the same ingredients. But it's Burger King. And I know back in the day, and I know Jastin's touted this before, with Burger King's flame broiledness. <laughs> you know what doesn't matter? Flame broiledness. You know what tastes better? That shitty-ass flat-top grill slash microwave thing, whatever the fuck McDonald's has. That tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> but they were swore by it, Sterling. They they tell you every yeah, time I it's know. flame broiled. I remember every Burger King commercial from the nineties. I remember they, they would shut the it. fuck up I about mean, it. They would not. They would not. You had to know that every time. You had to know, man. And it left such an impression on me. I'm like, well, damn. You know, I mean, they flame broil it. I mean, I love how they talk about it in those commercials. That. I love it. Where they're like, it's flame broiled, though. It, they, they never once say it tastes better. All they say <laughs> is it's flame broiled. That's true. <laughs> you know, they always get the people that are like, they're like eating the blind taste test. And they're like, oh, you could taste the flame broiledness. Motherfucker finished that sentence. But it doesn't taste better <laughs> is what they should say. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. You taste the fuck out of that flame broiledness. But what it doesn't have is flavor. All it tastes is flame broiledness. It's not like the beef tastes better or anything. Nothing like that. Like it's, 
I mean, let's get real, Burger King. You fucking suck. I mean, let's just be real, dude. You suck at making burgers. You suck at fries. There's not a single damn thing in the world that Burger King does better than anybody out there. <laughs> Burger King, at best, can maybe crack into the top four of some shit every once in a while. Maybe. You know, I'll say this. Burger King has better onion rings than McDonald's. And that's just because McDonald's didn't throw itself in the onion ring. The, no pun intended ring. I know sure as fuck, though, if McDonald's came out with some onion rings tomorrow, they'd be better than Burger King's. <laughs> and all that it really is to say that that is this movie. It's the Burger King of movies. It's got it's got all the same ingredients as other movies. It should be good. It should at least be comparable to other things. And it's not. It's just a pale imitation of movies that have come before it. It also doesn't know what it is. I mean, I know everybody like we talked about it like it's a murder mystery. Is it? Because at no point do I think they care about actually finding who the killer is. All right, we're getting close to spoilers. At least I am. So I'll stop. I'll stop there. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Can I say no and we just move on? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, yeah. I, I, that would probably put your score close to mine, then. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so <laughs> with that, Justin, what is your recommendation and score for this movie? Oh man. Well, I think you 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 guys have heard enough. We um just based on what everyone has said, I don't think it's going to be any surprise that I can't recommend this. I mean, Sterling said it better than I could. Like it, it's it is just a pale imitation of a bunch of other movies that are better that we've seen before. So, as far as the quote-unquote big releases, of uh 2021 uh go ahead and wait for the next uh few lineups or go watch another one of those releases because i you probably will stumble onto something better than this so yeah i can in good conscience recommend that this even though it has actors and people that you respect and like i just don't think you'll like this because this is really not any of them, honestly, at their best, you know, and the the film just isn't good enough to really carry it anywhere. So, yeah, can't recommend it. Uh, we'll give it 11. <laughs> I think that was how many holes Ravi Malik dug in that uh uh, uh isolated piece of dirt where they were. So, yeah, we'll go 11. Holes dug by Rami Malik out of a hundred. Heather, go. A hundred percent agree with you on the fact that it is none of their best work. Uh, there's not a single thing about any of these performances that you wouldn't find done different, like done better by them in other movies or another movie that probably was more interesting than this that did it better. It there's just there's nothing stand out about this movie at all. I honest, honestly I can't recommend it either because I can't even say, "Oh, you want to watch it for so and so's performance because it's it's none of their best performances like at all." So, it's it's unfortunate. Like it's very slow moving. Um it's very boring, honestly, and um it's it's one of those where you feel like it doesn't really have a point. Like it tells you that it has a point, but there's really no point to anything that actually happens in this movie and no, not anything really that gets any kind of like, Ooh, or ah moment out of you at all. <laughs> like it's just, it's not good. So 
Um, I, I can't recommend it really at all. Actually, I can't recommend it. And, um, I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to give it 15 Denzel Washington creepily talking to morgue bodies, um, out of a hundred. All right. So y'all's combined score is a 26, right? 15 and 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So take everything you guys said for my recommendation. And I'll just add to it and then fuck this movie. And then what I'll do for a score is I'll take y'all's combined scores, the 26, and then I'm going to subtract. Uh, let's see. How, how do I want to do this? So you guys gave it a 26. And then this movie is two hours and seven minutes long. So 127 minutes. So you guys gave it a 26 combined. Then I'm going to subtract one point for every minute this movie was. <laughs> So I will give it a negative 101. I think Jared Leto was playing himself out of 100. <laughs> Spoilers? Yeah. Wait, did I say 101? I meant negative 101. That's what, I'm sure everybody knew. Yes, negative 101 out of 100. Jared Leto is himself in this movie. Um, all right. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. They gave up yeah. on trying to figure out or tell the story of somebody being murdered in this movie. Because I don't think it was Jared Leto's character was a murderer. And that just means to hide what Rami Malek did. There is still a murderer on the loose. And they gave zero fucks about it. None. Denzel is perfectly content with going, this fucker's on the loose. I don't care. And right. sadly, it's the second time in the movie he does it. Well, I guess in his life. <laughs> With the same killer. He's literally lit this killer just go unhunted twice in his lifetime. What the fuck kind of cop story is this? <laughs> what kind of murder mystery is it that they give up giving a fuck who the murderer is? Because I think it was painfully obvious it wasn't Jared Leto's character. I, I, I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way if somebody wants to disagree with me or think that like, oh, it's possible, whatever. I get that. The movie very much wants you to think that, and I think they go out of their way to try to make that the case, even if I don't think the movie itself supports it. I think that the movie shows that what they say a couple of times in the movie, Jared Leto's character is just kind of obsessed with the investigation. He kind of wants that fame. He wants that infamy with it without actually doing it. He didn't want to kill anybody. I think he just wants the infamy. He wants people to think he could. Because it's obvious, and they show it in the movie, he gets his information from the police scanner. That's how he knew what mile marker that the body was dumped on and shit. It's from a police scanner. Very obvious. Like, they tell you in the movie how he knows that type of information. Yeah, and there are people who actually exhibit those behaviors in real life. So there are people that will get close to crime stories and hang around crime scenes and act like they're suspicious or like they know things or go in and confess to things. And then they find out this person doesn't know anything, didn't do anything or say that they witnessed something and they didn't. That's a very real thing that people do. Yeah. It's just like whenever like cops put out tip lines for information, you get flooded with a bunch of bullshit. They would, people just want to be a part of the investigation. And yeah, like I said, this movie, they gave no fucks about who the killer was. There is a murderer on the loose, and they don't care. 
And on top of that, the end of this movie, Denzel Washington's character goes out of his way to try to, to reassure Rami Malek's character that they got the bad guy by making sure that he threw in a fake red beret in the thing. What if this guy kills again? It's going to be very obvious they didn't get the right guy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Come on. Like, it's dumb. It's such a dumb ending. And it, it wasn't like, and the sad thing about it is, is like, I say it's a dumb ending. It's honestly the exact ending I expect from this movie. Because it's a <laughs> dumb movie. One of the commercials I saw, it's like, you know how they always like give the little quotes from things. And it's like, oh, a mystery movie yeah or like you know they said but like this one i saw one that's like um, um, ending you'll never see coming nah motherfucker it's an ending i didn't want to see coming like this is the ending i didn't want to see because mm-hmm. it's bad like and maybe that's the twist maybe that's the twist that they're like haha you thought you might get a good satisfying ending to a movie nope <laughs> we refuse to do anything right in this movie and that's what i think this movie is this movie is a movie that refuses to do anything right like absurdly so it's bad <laughs> and i will say this rami malik i felt like he tried to make a good movie he tried he did some acting in this movie the problem was is he was doing good acting of bad shit yeah so it doesn't matter honestly that made it kind of worse because he's he was doing so good at acting that it was obvious that he was acting bad shit. Like it made the flaws in the script and the flaws in the dialogue and the flaws of pretty much everything in this movie stand out more because his acting is so good. It just accentuates the badness. So every (laughs) bad piece of dialogue they gave him, he acted the fuck out of that bad dialogue. And he said him with just such conviction and it was bad. And on top of that, the killer is still out there. That is the number one rule for a movie like this. You solved a murder case. I guess you don't have to catch him. That's not necessarily a prerequisite for a movie like this. You don't have to catch the killer. You got to like get close to something. You know what I mean? Like you got to you got to almost get there. I mean, this movie is like if you're watching Inspector Gadget and he's going after Dr. Claw and then he goes into the castle and he's like, yeah, this is Dr. Claw's castle. And then it turns out it's Bowser's castle. And then he just doesn't (laughs) even bother to try to get to Dr. Claw's castle. He's just like, nope, this is it. We're done. The castle's a castle. Like, that's what this movie is. They don't even try to get to the bad guy. They they make you think they do. They do a bunch of shit that acts like it, but they don't actually go after the bad guy. They just go after a guy that might be a bad person, but not the bad guy. Nope, that guy's just running around killing people still. And also, am I the only one that thought that Jared Leto's costume just looked like they took normal Jared Leto and wrapped a pillow around him. Yeah, pretty much. Like yeah, just a pillow. Because I know Jared Leto's one of those method actors. He probably would have gained the weight and done all this. But it just looked like a frumpy pillow. <laughs> like it didn't look like somebody that was actually out of shape. It looked right. like a skinny person with a pillow on him. Or maybe not a pillow. Maybe just a fanny pack they put under the shirt. Because <laughs> it was just very weird. And I'm not trying to body shame, nothing like that. I just think it showed how poor quality this was. Because I think the biggest thing and the biggest problem with this movie is it touts constantly about the little things. The little things that will get you caught. And the little things that like this. Like the little things that help them catch the killer. Or the little things that help you. 
or that'll get you caught if you accidentally kill somebody in a random field or shoot somebody in a random forest. But like this movie also doesn't do the little things. Like it doesn't actually set up a good mystery. It didn't even do a yeah, good red herring. It didn't give you good details. It doesn't pay attention to the little things within itself. This movie does not follow the rules it says it should follow. It's like it like made that line a tagline and then just built a movie around it or something. <laughs> and yeah. that was it. It made it a tagline. They just it wanted made it to a say title. that line. Yeah, it, it did all these things. But it, when the, somebody was like, hey, director, are you going to follow the little or like, are you going to pay attention to the little things? And he's like, nah, motherfucker, that's just a marketing tool. Like it's <laughs> they just don't do good. They don't do good. Uh Heather, what about you? Well, a couple of things are I will say I did not hate the dynamic between Denzel Washington and Rami Malik's characters. That wasn't terrible. I'm not saying it was great, but I just think in a better movie, their dynamic would have been really, really good. You know what I mean? So I will I will say that I think their dynamic was fine. Um, probably one of the better things about the movie. But also like and maybe it is just me and how I took the movie or also just me being a little bit more bored going through it. But like, I guess I I didn't actually at the end of it, I still actually didn't know if Jared Leto's character was the killer or not. Like, I know there was a lot of things where you feel like, yeah, they're, they're obviously, there's obvious reasons why he wouldn't be. But I mean, just the fact that like when he was looking at those pictures, you know, he got like a rise out of that. And just like, I don't know, I just, I feel like it actually was still kind of a mystery and up in the air if he was or not for me. But again, it could be because I stopped caring halfway through and maybe I missed some stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I, I do feel like there was still that factor of, he could have been, he could have not been. And the point was, we still don't know. And because the, the characters don't know, we're not going to know. So that's kind of how it was for me. But I mean, the more that you talked about those things, I'm like, yeah, he probably wasn't the killer. <laughs> but when I ended the movie or when the movie ended, I was still kind of like, I don't know, he might have been, he might have not been. It's really 50-50 at this point. <laughs> like, you know, so... um but I just I feel like it's just really unfortunate that these characters were not fleshed out or drawn out well enough. Like Jared Leto's character was probably the most interesting character in the movie just because of how, you know, all of his little quirks and just how very strange and mysterious he was. But it's just like if they would have just tried to draw out better characters, even we would have cared more about these these two cops that are kind of getting into something they shouldn't be getting into, but it's, it just lacked in so many ways that you just, you don't care about any of the characters. And I agree. I think that Rami Malik tried his best to make this a good movie with what he had to work with. Um, Denzel, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really tell if he was trying to make it a good movie or not, but you know, um, he always has a presence about him, even when he's in a bad movie and doesn't have a great performance. But it, it's just, yeah, you, you just feel like they made a movie because they wanted to make a movie. But then they just it, it was almost just like they had a really grand idea going into this. And then the more that they realized, 
like, oh, I actually have to write out details about this story. They just (laughs) stopped caring. Like, I just know as somebody who has tried to write movie scripts and stuff like that before, I have a lot of great ideas about these are the big points of things that I want to happen. But then in the little details, I never get around to finishing them up because you're like, okay, you got to take a lot of thought and all these things. And I feel like that's what this movie did. It was like, uh, well, we don't want to go far enough in and we don't want to put enough effort to give you those little details. We just wanted to make these big points and that was it. But the thing is, they didn't even make big points. Like they wanted certain things to happen, but you feel like it amounted to nothing anyway, because nobody really learned any lessons in this movie. Denzel's character didn't really. I mean, like like Sterling said, this is the second time this guy's kind of done this. And he's just kind of resigned to the fact of, you know, oh, well, all right, well, this happened. And you just feel like he cares more about the fact that, oh, good, somebody else has done what I've done. And you almost feel like that was his motive for helping was like, sweet, now I have somebody else who kind of knows what it feels like to have possibly killed an innocent person and in his case he did kill an innocent person so you know it's just like you feel like that was what he cared more about than finding the killer and being like hey cop don't do what i did you know and it's stuff like that because then it's like his his lies have to get bigger and the web gets spun even bigger because you have to cover up the lies on top of the lies and you see that at the end of this movie when you know, he takes the barrette and he sent that to Rami Malik's character and then he burns it and he goes in his house. Like, it's just one of those where you feel like he's not really planning to stop this or fix this. And he's really just totally fine with like, that might have not been him. But you know what? It's all right. Because, you know, I just I want somebody else to <laughs> feel like I felt or like I just I'm just glad that somebody else feels like I feel so I don't care if it was or wasn't the guy you know and it just you feel like it kind of lost its way and like it was almost like what's the point like <laughs> nobody actually learned any sort of moral in this movie um, I, I don't understand what the point in making the movie was because they don't answer any questions and they give you a lot more questions and not that questions always have to be answered Like sometimes when you have the mystery at the end of a movie, like, for example, a movie I've brought up a lot, Prisoners, you know, the ending of that where you're like, you assume something, but you don't know. And sometimes that stuff is fine. But for this movie, it was not thought out enough to really pull that off. So that's kind of my big problem with it. And it's just like, just goes so slow that you're kind of like, oh, hey, when are we going to get to something that's going to matter in this movie? And you never really get to anything that matters in it. So, um, and I also don't like the fact that when they finally started telling the story of what happened to Denzel's character and why he's so haunted, it's so far in that you're just like, if you would have pieced a little bit more in for us before almost the very end of it, we would have cared more. You know what I mean? And like, they they show glimpses of it and they, they hint around a lot of it, but they don't like, you know, you just feel like they didn't really, um, I guess, tell the story within the story very well either, because all of the main points of what happens, um, it all happens at the very end of this movie. So it was just very, yeah, poorly put together, I guess. And it's unfortunate because... I, there, there again was potential for this movie to be so much better than it was in so many ways. But 
it just it got in its own way kind of and it just it was just not there there was nothing about this movie to care about like it's a forgettable movie at best and you know you kind of like if you run through a list of like great thrillers or even great performances by these specific people in this movie this is not going to come up on that list anywhere because it's it's not a great thriller and it's not the best acting performances from anybody. So it's just almost like it, a pointless movie. It really was. No, I agree. And do you know why? One reason why the, the whole Denzel being haunted by the ghost of his past doesn't work is because when you first see the woman that he accidentally shoots in the movie, it's her ghost giving him a foot rub. So how really <laughs> fucked up can he be by it if he's imagining her ghost giving him a foot massage? Right. <laughs> you lost me there. You know, like that's when I stopped wanting to know what even happened. Exactly. <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. Anyway, Justin, go. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, she was awfully close to his feet um when you first see her. So it was kind of weird. But yeah, um no, I mean I, I don't think that you guys have said anything really that's off base. I mean, th th really the biggest problem with this is storytelling. Like I, I didn't necessarily dislike anything that the actors were doing. All of my problems just really came from story stuff. Like Denzel seems like this character, this uh police officer, he seems like a, a good character on paper like he's got this past and something happened in the force and so he's kind of estranged from his original department and something happened five years ago and there's certain people uh that still work there they kind of resent him and you 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 get the feeling that something happened in his past and they keep showing these the, these people like the girl that he shot and you know parts where you know you see these other girls and he's imagining them there looking at him and all of this other stuff but the problem though storytelling wise is that we never really get to find out who these people actually are like other than Denzel just finding out that he accidentally shot her we still don't know who her is you know, we don't know who she is. We don't know what the significance of that was. We don't know, like, we we never really know who that person was. So, and, and you know, it could have used a monologue of him, you know, guilt-written kind of explaining who that person was. Or, you know, maybe there's a house that he keeps driving by and looking at or something, you know, RoboCop shit. And you're like, whose house does he keep going? going to why does he keep going there but he doesn't go in he doesn't knock on the door and then we find out oh it's you know the family of this person he killed you know something to kind of bring some more levity to that but like Heather said we, we just are wondering who these people are or why they're important we know it was a past case but that's all we know and then you see him accidentally shoot this person and then the then you know the the coroner pulls the the bullet out of the body and goes we're gonna say that it's stab wounds and all of this stuff and and, and it's like you know 
And even that was kind of hard to buy. I don't know. Maybe that's just the skepticism in me. But, you know, I've seen cops kill people on camera. I've seen, you know, I I, I feel like I've seen cops do worse on camera and get away with it or just get leave and then they come back or they just, you know, I, I just, and, may, and maybe that's just the skeptic in me. So I didn't even completely buy that this was something that had to be hidden if it was properly explained, you know, and, th- and then when they talk about Denzel's police history and he had this stellar, stellar reputation and he was kind of a really good cop that always gets his man and stuff like that. That. And that's why he kind of mirrored Ramy Malik mirrored him because Ramy was kind of that cop with that status too. always calm and collected, had some famous captures, always gets his man kind of spotlight on him at, at, at um, at, in the department. So they mirrored each other in that way. So I I don't know, man. I don't even know if I was completely buying that that was something that really even had to be hidden in that way. I just questioned that, you know, and maybe more than I should, but, you know, it didn't affect me when I saw it because I was like, well, I mean, did, did they have to go to these lengths? You know, could you have maybe just I mean, would the truth have been that bad and what happened been that bad? So I don't know. And I get the point that they were trying to make. We, You know, we find out throughout the movie that he lost his wife. He, you know, his kids were grown up and gone and didn't seem like he had much involvement with them. Uh, You know, a woman that he had history with, um, you know, he kind of misses that and didn't have that anymore. So you get the feeling that even though he got away with that murder or or with that, well, I would say manslaughter, he didn't mean he didn't murder the person. Uh, Even though he got away with that manslaughter, his life was never the same. And obviously his life was ruined anyway, even though he didn't have to answer for that killing. So I get what they were going for here. And then you got this dynamic with him and Rami Malik, and it's supposed to be the old cop making those mistakes, seeing the young cop fall down that hole and getting and getting sucked into and obsessing and about the little things, so to speak, and getting obsessed with the case details and having uh, who he thinks is a suspect and having this, you know, feeling about Jared Leto and wanting to follow that and trying to see that through the end and trying to attack the case with some persistence. And you could. And so that type dynamic really doesn't sound bad. Like, okay, you, the old cop sees what's happening to the new cop and maybe he can prevent it. You know, maybe he can stop him from falling down that rabbit hole. Maybe he can stop him from digging so many holes out in the sand wilderness, but you know, maybe he can stop him. But what winds up happening? And I think that's why Maybe that's what should have happened, but you get to the end and it's not satisfying because even though he kind of gives Rami Malik a sense of closure, like because Rami Malik killed that guy and he knows he's guilty about he's and he feels guilty about that and everything. But when he sends that um, 
what was it like that little the red I forget what it was like a little bonnet or barrette yes um when he sends that red barrette to him which was supposed to be something that Jared Leto had to, that could have implicated him in the murder I get that Denzel never got his character never got closure he was always obsessed about how he killed them and stuff like that. So I think the idea was, is I'll send this Barrett to him and I will give him that sense of closure. He won't feel so guilty that he did that because this, because he'll look at that and that'll remind him, I, even though I killed him, we didn't go through proper procedure, but he deserved to die. He was the killer. He, you know, he I, I have a sense of closure because even though I did, I killed them in a wrong kind of way. I killed the right guy, but it's as Sterling said, what if the actual killer start? It's unclear if, if Jared Leto is the killer or not. So you can't help, but think, well, what if the killer's still out there? Then what does that what does that Barrett do? What does that do? What sense of clo- so it did it fell so incredibly flat because we didn't even really know if Leto was the killer or not. So I mean, so it, it it just doesn't work. I get the gesture that the Denzel character was trying to do. I get that he was trying to save him from the suffering he's gone through. But how does that work if the killer is still out there and it's still and we're still unclear if Leto was the killer or not? So that that's just why that ended fell flat. And then when you couple that with just as this case is going on and as they're having these interactions and as they're kind of digging up the clues, you you just don't feel that much that anything interesting happens. It's just them going into buildings, talking to different people, um, going, okay, maybe we think it's this or that, or they're in a car and they kind of do these chase scenes where there's like mute where there's um some suspenseful music playing and stuff like that but you you like but like you all said it you just don't ever feel like those scenes really go anywhere it doesn't feel anywhere near as exciting as the movie tries to make those scenes and you just kind of like okay so I, I guess that was a chase scene i guess we're getting clues and you know you were hoping that when we get to the big reveals we'll understand this story completely we'll understand the Denzel's character his that journey completely you know you just feel like we'll understand it more and we don't and then just all of the kind of bad decisions that the director and the writers make these characters make like Rami Malik he seemed well put together like this very meticulous methodical very smart detective and then you know all of a sudden, this guy who you suspect is the killer, he's like, yeah, get in this car. I'll take you to a body. And he gets in the car with him and they drive and they drive and they go to this place. And he's like, well, dig here. No, dig here. No, dig there. No, I think the body is over here. Oh, uh, I guess I missed it. Well, go ahead and dig here. And I mean, he dug so many holes just at the command of Jared Leto and he's tired and he can barely stand up. And I'm like, why are you 
doing all of this. Like, I don't know. It was just so weird, man. It didn't even feel like anything that this character would do based on what I had been given before that. And I get, okay, he was obsessed with solving this case. So he was obsessed about the details. So maybe that was a moment of weakness, but I don't know, man, that this cop just, I mean, it didn't seem like he was this type of cop to do this. You know, he didn't seem volatile or unstable. He just didn't seem like this, you know, that seemed more like the Denzel character more than it did him. So I didn't buy that either. And you didn't give me enough of Rami Malek behind the scenes or to help me kind of understand his thought process or any of that to help me understand why he would do that at the end. I just didn't completely buy that this cop would do this. I just felt like he would make smarter decisions or maybe that's just me. Maybe my impressions of the character were wrong, but that's how I felt in the moment of it. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. So, you know, so overall, that's just how I felt, man. To me, that's why those scenes fall incredibly flat. I get what they were trying to do. And sometimes you can have an ambiguous ending in movies. Or like you said, Heather, something that doesn't answer all the questions. And sometimes it's done for artistic purposes. And sometimes it's for the audience to interpret what happened. But the problem is that you did something that the you have the Denzel character deliver that beret to him to try to give him something he didn't have. You're trying to make a statement with that. But if we don't know who the killer is, then that statement completely falls flat. So, yeah. See, this movie kind of feels like to me, like it's based on a book and they wanted to change the ending. So it surprised people that read the book. But the problem was, is that they still didn't come up with an ending. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like in the book, it is Jared Leto's character. But in this one, they wanted to be like, it's not. We don't know who it is, but it's just not this guy. Ugh. Also, Denzel did so much shit without gloves on. He was touching all kinds of shit without gloves. <laughs> Again, he just, he wasn't really trying. I mean, he just, when he's all running around at like the crime scene orig- at the first point, like also, like when they did the whole thing where they had to come through the window and they were like, we had to go through the window because of this. And then they were like, and then after they'd all gone through the window, they were like, yeah, this is the window the killer went through. So we shouldn't have done that. I'm like, motherfucker, how didn't you know that to begin with then? If you know the body was against the door or whatever it was, so you have to come through the window, wouldn't it automatically make you assume that the killer went through the window too? That's my first thought. If you knew enough that that body was against the door and that's why you couldn't open it, how do you not know that he went through the window or at least plan accordingly? <sighs> it's so dumb. Yep. And I know I, I do agree with you too, Justin. Like they, the way they frame Rami Malek's detective in this is that he's a very cool operator and that he's methodical and all this, but he gets so one track minded in this. And mm-hmm. then kills the guy because of it. And then like in that scene at the end of the movie, it was just so dumb when he's just like blank staring into nothing while his girls were playing in the pool. And <laughs> you could tell they didn't know what they were doing because they were like, all right, girls, 
keep acting like you're playing in the pool and we're going to just go to your faces. And those girls are just standing in the water, staring at him. <laughs> like, right. For so long, though. <laughs> and then Such somehow, a long like, time. And the wife is acting so, like, just bothered by everything in those scenes, too. Like, when that one guy comes by and was like, oh, hey, Denzel Washington's character asked me to drop this off for you. And she's acting so bothered by it. Like, when he's like, hey, you know, we miss him already. And she's just like, oh, fine, I guess. And then she takes right. him the envelope. Like, I understand the guy's probably been acting weird because he, you know, murdered a guy. But just the way they're acting is just like, she's just so bothered. Like, almost like she knows what happened. Like, she's like, oh, my God, I'm living with a murderer now. Ugh. Right. It's just so weird. And he's just staring. And uh, like, I understand the director's like, yeah, just, you know, stare like you're just wrapped up in thought of murdering somebody. And then those little girls are just staring at him and they're like not even playing in the pool. I'm like, what are they doing? Why did the director actually shoot that shot? Why did he have that be a frame of this movie? It just looks so dumb. Like, this looks like a family that's just utterly disconnected from each other regardless in those scenes. Mm -hmm. Ugh, this movie. No, I agree. Yeah. Man, so bad. Also, how did nobody see Denzel climbing over the roof of that building? It took him, <laughs> what, 45 minutes to get over that corner? <laughs> Brahmi Malik and Jared Leto's characters are across the street staring at it. And then when it does the camera angle from their side, you just see a man on the roof. And then there is a crowd of like 27 people on that street staring. And none of them see it. It's the most obvious <laughs> thing in the world. There's just a man on that roof. And you see a bunch of police doing shit. Why wouldn't anybody, just anybody go, hey, why is that man on the roof caught? <laughs> right. Yeah, there had to be at least 17 to 28 officers out there. And nobody's, and nobody's on the side of that building. Nobody's on the back of that building. I understand. I wasn't expecting an officer to be on the roof, but I was expecting some sort of perimeter. You just got a call saying a cop was shot and all you do is stay at the front of the building. Yeah. Motherfucker. Please. They would have been all over that. I've seen law and order. There is no less than 97 cops everywhere, everywhere. Come on. There'd be a police helicopter, everything. Come on. Come on. <sighs> and also, what was the point of the beginning? I don't remember. Like he was there for like to get shoes tested. I don't like. They made such a big deal. Oh, of when that he it didn't looks matter. for the evidence or something. No, like why was he in that town? He was getting shoes tested, but they were like, "No, oh. we need those shoes tested more." Like I was so confused by that. I'm like, this just seems like a dumb little idea that somebody put in here just to keep his character there. Like it, it didn't, was, dude. It, it, it didn't was feel like it was, it was actually a be, thing. Yeah, you're right, dude. Because it was supposed to be to. To, because they needed the evidence in some sort of court case and like this evidence was going to put either this if he had this it would put the guy away then I want to say that's why he went there and that's why he was staying there because he was trying to get some because he needed a signature from somebody to be able to get the boots and then it what wound up happening was that they said they didn't need them like a few seeds later it was like oh well, we didn't need those and well, so yeah. then he was just there it was so dumb well it's because the character like took a like the the criminal we don't see took a plea bargain instead but i'm like 
why was the evidence there? Like, A, how did it get down there? And B, why was that homicide department like, all right, so maybe the, because it was a small town, they have to send off evidence to get tested at a lab. Sure, that happens all the time. But then why did he need a signature from homicide to get it out? Like, why was this other department, was it their evidence too? Like, that makes no sense. Like, why is that a thing that that department could hold him up? Like, just the idea that they could keep him there because of a signature. And they were like, no, you have to wait till tomorrow to get that signature. Why? Why couldn't they just get release the evidence then? Because they were making it seem like they needed it for their case. And I'm like, why the fuck is, are these boots so important to two different cases in two different places? That's so weird. Like I said, it just sounds like somebody that has watched a like cop procedural show and just knows that evidence goes to labs. Not how actually anything works. Like, I could see that being something in, like, a CSI, where they're like, oh, the evidence we need is at another lab, and they're not as good as our lab, but we have to wait for that signature so we can get it and follow proper procedures. Otherwise, this criminal will get off, and we won't have the right evidence. And you're just like, oh, that's so contrived. <laughs> Man. All right, so are we done talking about this shit fest of a movie? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm not going to lie, dude. I wished while I was watching it that I got murdered. Oh, my. That's all I was hoping. I was hoping that the twist ending was that the actual killer in the movie was going to come out of my fucking iPad and kill me. <laughs> Would it have been Rami Malik or Jared Leto? Apparently just some random motherfucker that you don't see in the movie. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> God forbid they actually do anything like find the murderer. So I just thought it was going to be some random like faceless motherfucker that was just going to come out and stab me 27 times or whatever the fuck it was. That's, yeah, I just figured that that's what was going to happen. That was the only way I was going to be satisfied with any ending at that certain point in that movie. Ugh. Anyway, all right, let's move on. Let's let's talk about something good. Let's talk about something that is actually worth watching. Let's talk about that one night in Miami. So this was what this was yes. directed by Regina King. It's based on a play and. I'm not going to lie. We've kind of had some good success lately with movies based on plays. So that's good. It makes me yep. happy. Does this kind of continue that tradition? I'm getting a, bit, a little bit ahead of myself. So once again, we're going to talk about what we liked and like and everything in between with this movie. Spoiler free recommendations and scores and then spoilers. So for this one, I what Heather started the last one. So Justin, what are your spoiler free thoughts about one night in Miami on Amazon Prime? Hell yeah, man. This was some prime filmmaking right here, man. I, I really enjoyed this. Like, uh, Regina King is a queen for this. I mean, yeah. being that this is her directorial debut, I think it is, right? Like, this is the first movie that yep. she's directed. Man, what a, what a, what a start. Like, and I mean, the, this this whole premise of just some of the most influential black people in the 60s at that time, you know, Muhammad Ali or in, in this Cassius Clay, because this kind of takes place just before he became uh, changed his name to Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X. Jim Brown, one of the most prolific NFL players. And 
it's just all well acted also. And some and some of them really look like I had to double take. Like, is that Muhammad Ali? Like, that like they did a good job just like with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, didn't he, did. he though? Didn't he? And some of the mannerisms and stuff that they were able to pull off voice. with these people. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, they did such a good job with the casting of this because I just felt like everybody was on point. And sometimes when when actors are portraying people who have actually existed, some of these people are, you know, still exist, obviously, and stuff like that. You know, sometimes it's met with more scrutiny because you know who these people are. You've seen them before. You've seen them in the media. You 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 kind of know who they are, especially somebody like Malcolm X. So you're, and Malcolm X has been played by, I mean, hell, we were just talking about Denzel Washington. You know, he had a magnificent performance as Malcolm X. So, you know, not only are you under pressure to portray um, somebody who has actually existed, somebody who is well-documented, somebody who is really prolific in American history. But there are other performances of Malcolm X that you're also competing with too. So I feel like there's kind of double pressure whenever you're playing somebody like Malcolm X. And Kingsley Ben-Adir did a great job as Malcolm X, man. Fucking phenomenal. A great, dare I say, this might, this might rival Denzel's performance. And you know, I mean, and, and I mean, I know that that's, you're like, what? I'm pretty sure some of the listeners are like, what, Justin? How could you say that? Trust me. Watch this shit and tell me yeah. that it is not as good as Denzel's performance um, in, in in Malcolm X uh, that was directed by Spike Lee. It's that good, guys. I swear by it. So yeah, man. But just the 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 just the way that they put these people together, they establish everybody. They kind of they do enough with the historical references and showing certain scenes to kind of give you an idea of what time period this is, where the characters are at. But really the heart of this is when the characters get together in that hotel. And I mean, you would think that if I told you basically this movie only takes place in a few scene locations, most of it takes place in a hotel room. And if I told you that you may think, well, I mean, this doesn't sound like a movie that's going to move very much. I don't know how interested it's going to keep me because it's got to be done with all dialogue and just great acting. And that is exactly what you get here. You know, I, we talked about uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and how it was just meat and potatoes acting. And this is based on a play, too, if I'm correct on that. So uh, yes. uh, in the same spirit. Yeah. So in the same spirit of that, th that's what this is. This is meat and potatoes put some actors in a room and let them do what they do. And yeah, man, the, everybody showed up here. I think the direction was excellent. The tension, what the characters are talking about. And it even got to the point to where once it got to the end, 
I, I couldn't help but get a little emotional because the things that they're talking about are still relevant today. And I yeah. hope that a time comes where I don't have to say that damn shit, but the things that they're talking about and the things that they say, and there's a just, there is a passionate speech with Malcolm X where he's talking to Sam Cook and the things he's saying are just, you would almost think that the movie that, that we were talking about two people having a conversation today, two black people on different sides of the spectrum, having a conversation today, it could almost just be that. And that's just in a way just kind of makes you sad, but it's just so relevant and it was just so poignant. And yeah, I was really blown away by this. Definitely one of the best things I've seen in 2021 so far. Heather, go. Yeah, I I really, really like this movie a lot. This is a fantastic film. Definitely. Um, I think it's going to be just one of the best of the whole year. <laughs> it just came out, but I just, oh, there's so many things to say about this movie, but it's incredibly well acted, but kind of like Jason talking about the meat and potatoes, it's, it, it's got that really profound dialogue. And I love that because they, every moment that they have, they use every moment, every bit of time that they're on the screen, each of the actors and characters use that time to really shine. And um, I know something that we had talked about sort of with um, Ma Rainey, uh, Sterling had sort of mentioned it where it's like, you know, no actor is really outshining any other actor. And I think that that's absolutely true here too, because every single one of them held their own so much. And like, I completely agree with you about Kingsley Benadir. I, I'm a fan of him. Um, he's in a show on HBO called Love Life with Anna Kendrick. And um, he's, I've seen him in a couple of other things too, but he was phenomenal. Like he almost, there were moments when I was like, maybe he's the best one. Like, you know what I mean? Because he just really used up that space anytime he was, you know, on screen. But um He's just so fantastic in that in that role. And yeah, um, Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali, he looks and sounds exactly like him in this movie. Uh, my only other experience with him, Sterling, you'll laugh at this, is he was in Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> And know. that's the only oh. other experience that I have of him in acting. And his character's name was Mad Dog, if that tells you anything about that show in general. But it's that's the only other experience I've had with him, but man, he's solid in this. And then, um, yeah, I mean, Leslie Odom Jr. I love Leslie Odom Jr. I think he's, he could probably do everything. I mean, his voice is amazing. His acting is amazing. He's just kind of an all around can do everything. Renaissance man. And he was perfect as Sam cook. He did such a great job. And I'm fairly certain, I don't imagine why it wouldn't be his real voice when he was doing yes, the singing. He was singing. But um, yeah, his voice is fantastic. And yeah, Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown, like he is, um, last thing I remember him in was uh, The Invisible Man that came out last year, I think, or I think it was last year. Yeah, last year. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I have seen these guys all in other things before, but I just feel like they all bring so much 
to this and the reason that this movie is as good as it is is because of how well they play their parts in it. Um, Regina King's directing, obviously, this is fantastic. And you're right. It's an amazing first run of <laughs> being a director. And Regina King can also do everything. So, um, but just like if they if they didn't bring everything that they brought to these performances, this movie could have very easily and quickly fallen apart. But it didn't because of how amazing their performances were. And you could just tell how how thoughtful they were with how they portrayed these people and just how they spoke and the words they said and how they said them because it's important, you know, all of these men are super important and they just, you know, you just feel like they had thoughtful performances because they understand the weight of historically who these people were and what, what was, you know, what they meant. And so it's just, and, and also just the cinematography it's beautiful. Like it really kind of takes you back to that time. You feel like you're in that era and the music is great. Everything about this movie, like I honestly can't find anything that I don't like about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so all of that being said, yeah, this is a great movie. Okay, so both of you said meat and potatoes acting. I feel the need to clarify because they ain't no like fucking ground beef or skirt steak or none of that shit. That's some fucking Wagyu. <laughs> it's some of the best beef you can get. Yeah. As far as those potatoes go, those are some La Bonnet potatoes, <laughs> which if you don't know what those are, those are the most expensive potatoes in the world. At yeah. one point, those things have sold for as high as 600, like in 60 US dollars per kilo. Wow. Yeah. Most expensive potatoes in the world. They're grown on like one island in France for like three months a year and that's it. And it's like, got like it's it's in the ocean so it's got like this really salty soil and it's just these special potatoes that's what the fuck this movie is this is the most expensive meat and potatoes you will ever have and it's probably some of the tastiest damn meat and potatoes you will ever eat <laughs> um we went with a lot of food analogies today i know I like we are it. all on the food um yeah and as much as i loved ma rainey I had more of a connection with this movie because two of the biggest like role models in my life have been Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. I, I, I love those men and to see them played in this movie to damn near perfection because yeah, Justin, damn you're not perfection. alone. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I kind of connected with this Malcolm X more than I did Denzel Washington's. Like in a lot Man. of ways, I love the way they told Malcolm's story in this. Mm -hmm. I love that you got to see some of the aspects of his militantism, but also what is not known by a lot of people until he kind of became public with it later on in his life, where he was distancing himself from the nation of Islam, where he was realizing that while he liked the message, he didn't like how they were handling it. Elijah Muhammad. For people that don't know, more or less is the guy that's responsible for M Malcolm X being dead. The Nation of Islam, people in the Nation of Islam killed him. And a lot of it was because it's like he was saying, you can have all this, this, or uh, Sam Cook's character was saying, or well, like what they talked about in this movie, where you can have all this stuff and you can have this message, but unless you have the leadership not being corrupt, 
and fulfilling the message in which you you actually want to go out and have, then sometimes your words will ring hollow. And I don't think a lot of people realized how heavily that weighed on Malcolm X and how much that things like that really affected him. Because as much as Malcolm X was the mouthpiece of the nation of Islam, and I don't mean mouthpiece as just a tool or anything like that. He was just, he was the one that spoke. The face, yeah. He yeah. was very much the face besides Elijah Muhammad, yeah. Yeah, but people yeah. knew Malcolm X more than Elijah Muhammad. But they knew, yeah, they knew him more, yeah. yeah. He, he was the mouth. He was the one that spoke for them, you know. You heard his voice. He was the voice of the nation of Islam. Yeah. And yeah. how much that weighed on him because of how corrupt the top of that was. And as much as the message meant to him and how that it tore him up, that he wanted to say the words and he meant the words, but he knew the people, he, some of the people he was saying those words for didn't. And I loved how they portrayed that in this movie. Like, I loved how they showed him being like militant, but at the same time, just where the, where that came from, the just utter passion he had. Yeah. And that while he was angry, he wasn't angry for the sake of being angry. He was angry because he knew that deep down, as much as things could change and, and should change, and would possibly change the fact that it wasn't changing at that moment meant it, it 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 was it was going on too long every single day that he spent fighting for the cause he fought for was another day that change hadn't happened and meant that that was another day that it had been going on too long and i loved how that move this movie showed it and i love how they showed the conflictedness of muhammad ali like a lot of people don't realize that as much as he was a, like, a, you know, about being a Muslim and all this other stuff. Yeah, he had his demons with some stuff. But as much as he was about that, he did have reservations because he didn't want to be used by the nation of Islam in the same way that essentially he was being used by white people. Yeah. You know, and because of his stature, you know, love him or hate him. Motherfuckers, one of the greatest boxers of all time. I mean, I would say he's the best. I understand if you want to get into some like pros and cons with some other people, whatever. But I mean, he's one of the best boxers of all time, you know, and one of the things that made him so great is that he was the best boxer and he was he's fucking one of the best trash talkers in sports history. I mean, humanity, even I'm, I'm going to say that. <laughs> humanity. Yep. Pretty I mean, much. <laughs> the way, and I love the way they portrayed that in this movie when he's talking about how ugly Sonny Liston was. And how he was doing it in the ring, because that is one of my favorite <laughs> things about him is that he would talk that shit in the ring. I don't remember who he fought after he changed his name, but that boxer kept refusing to call him Muhammad Ali and would only call him Cassius Clay. He beat that mother so fucking bad left and right in that ring that he was hitting that guy saying, say my name, say my name. And he kept hitting that guy till he would say Muhammad Ali. Then he knocked him the fuck out because he was that good of a boxer. If he wanted to toy with you, he could. And I do think it's, I, I didn't, the one thing I didn't like is when they showed him in the, what, the same Cooper fight at the beginning when he gets knocked down because yeah, he gets knocked down and it's like, there's like, oh, he was kind of lucky. I mean, there is some, like some thought that maybe he was saved by some stuff in that, but he beat the guy in the next round because he was so, the, the guy was so bloody. He couldn't keep fighting. 
And then they did fight a second time, and Muhammad Ali fucking dominated the entire time, you know? So it is what it is. But he but he did say one of my favorite things that they also leave out of this movie is that when he when he fought uh Cooper, he was like, he's a bomb, he's trash, all this other stuff. But because Cooper did fucking hit him, did knock him down, gave him one of the biggest scares in that early in his career. After the fight, he said he he changed his tone on Cooper. He was like, No, Cooper's not a bum. That the guy can fight. I'm better, but he, he can fight. And I wish they kind of showed some of that stuff. But I mean, that's like me being Muhammad Ali, you know, like being a fan of him. I want to see all that shit, you know, because also of how well this guy fucking played him. I want to see this guy play Muhammad Ali yeah. in a whole movie. Yeah, man. Yeah. He you know, was that damn good. I won't say anything bad about what Will Smith did as Ali. I think the movie has flaws, but I think Will Smith did a very good Muhammad Ali. Motherfucker, this better, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's I mean, like I said, I have to double take because the guy just looked like him and sounded so much like him. Oh, I mean, he just... moved like him, too. Yeah. Oh, he moved like him. Like, no, I totally get it. You know, like, I think this is a better Muhammad Ali than Will Smith. I I really do think in, in some ways, maybe not in all ways, but at least in the way they were portraying Malcolm X in this movie, I do think it's a better Malcolm X. I've got no reference for Sam yeah. Cooke or Jim Brown in movies, but those guys, Leslie Odom Jr. and, and then the guy that played uh, uh, Jim Brown. I mean, th- don't get me wrong. They were also fucking phenomenal. I know I've yeah. focused on yeah. Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali's characters in this. That's because I have more of a connection with them. And I don't mean that in any way, shape or form to diminish anybody else's per- performances in this movie because those motherfuckers were good, too. Like when yeah. it comes to acting in this movie, there is not a weak link in this movie. This better win all the awards. <laughs> it won't. And it's going to piss me off. It's going to piss you think me it off. Won't? Because it was an Amazon release and I bet it didn't go to theaters. Uh, and they're going to get it some fucking backdoor bullshit on why it's not. Hmm. Honestly, they're probably going to do that. that backdoor bullshit because they're probably going to want to give Chadwick Boseman stuff from all rainy. And if that's the case, I'll begrudgingly accept it. And I just mean that in a way that I, I do understand because like we said before, Chadwick Boseman was utterly fucking phenomenal in that movie. You know, I just hate to see other performers relegated like that just because of a different situation. Yeah. You know, I and if, honestly, if you wanted to tell me Chadwick Boseman, you think his performance was better than the guys in this movie. I'm not going to necessarily be mad that you feel that way. You know? Yeah. I think all of it's them not are like great. we said Denzel in the little things exactly. was better. <laughs> you say Den- you say anybody in the little things fucking did better in this. Like, no, the thing is, this movie did the little things better than the little things. Yeah, that's yep. the problem. And exactly. that's not really a problem. Very true. This movie is good. I mean, and that also sounds discrediting. This movie's fucking phenomenal. And everyone in it yep. was fucking great. And the thing I love the most about it is this movie is probably 99% bullshit because all we really know is that those four guys that were friends were in a hotel room that night. Nobody actually really knows what was said. This is a dramatization of that. Right. But the best thing about it is it could be 99% bullshit, but it 100% feels right. Yeah, it's believable for sure. Yeah. You know, I don't know a lot about Sam Cooke as a person. I know a little bit about James or uh, Jim Brown and 
the character of Jim Brown that gave me this movie lines up a lot with what I know about Jim Brown because he was an unapologetic mo- like motherfucker. Sorry, my cat started calling me in the middle of saying that. Uh, like he was. And as much as like they show in this movie too, that one of the things I loved that they showed in this is the fact that like Jim Brown, by ending his career the way he did, was like a big step in A, the rights of athletes, because a lot of people don't understand as much as athletes get paid now, they used to get fucking shat on and had zero say in anything in their career back in the day. And Jim Brown standing up the way he did kind of helped give rights to athletes. And then on top of that, even more so black athletes, having a black athlete stand up and take just control of his career and say, hey, because Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns are going to do this when I'm trying to also do this and they're trying to dictate how I'm going to live my life. Fuck them. I'm out. I'm doing what I want to do. I have control over my life. Like that was Jim Brown. And a lot of people don't realize that. Like a lot of people now have forgotten that when you have that that motherfucker on Fox News saying to like LeBron and Kevin Durant, you need to shut up and dribble dribble because you're an athlete. They also don't realize where these motherfuckers are coming from when it comes to their mentors as athletes. When you look at somebody like a Jim Brown or a Muhammad Ali that sacrificed their careers for what they believed in, like love them or hate them, agree with them, whatever. They sacrificed their livelihoods to for what they believed. Yeah. Jim Brown could have been the greatest running back in history, but they were trying to dictate his life. So he stepped away. And don't get me wrong. Nobody's shitting on Jim Brown. He's still considered one of the greatest running backs of all time, even though we didn't see it because he ended his career before he needed to. You know, he could have been the first 2000 yard rusher. He could have. He could honestly, if he had played like a full career, he could have been the the all-time rushing leader. He could statistically be the greatest running back of all time. We just didn't get to see it because of the bullshit that they were doing. Muhammad Ali spent time in jail, was stripped of his titles because he didn't want to go to war, in a war he didn't believe in. Yeah. And you see that in this movie. You see those aspects of their personalities in this movie. You know, it's just up and down. Fucking great. And my boy Lance Riddick was in it too. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Brother Kareem looking fucking great in that bow tie. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm for throwing Lance Riddick in everything. He was great in he was great in the wire. He's great in fringe. He's great in the John Wick movies. He's probably the only thing that I think was worthwhile in Jonah Hex. So I mean, yeah. I'm all for some Lance Riddick. And he just did his he just did yeah, his he's typical great. Great acting in this. It, I mean, it was a, it's a small part, but you know what? He carried it with the dignity that I 100% expect from a Lance Riddick. You want to go into recommendations and scores? Because I don't know if I've spoiled shit in this or not. I don't know. I was just, I was fired up. I love this movie. Um, Yeah, so recommendations and scores? Yeah. All right. Uh, So, Justin, uh, Heather, go. Yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend this. It's a really great movie in all aspects of it. Like, it's captivating throughout. It's great performances. It's believable. It's beautifully shot. It's just really, really great. So definitely, definitely have to say you need to check this out. Um, and you might learn something maybe that you didn't know about um, 
a couple of these people. Like I didn't know anything really about Jim Brown and not really a whole lot about Sam Cooke either. So yeah, you might learn some things and it's, um, it's really, really great. Um, I'm going to give this 94 heated discussions on a rooftop that almost turned into a fight out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Yeah, it's it's a big recommend for me. This is definitely one of the best movies that I've seen. Uh, really just, I mean, t- to say this year, I mean, it's just barely February, but really in quite some time. I mean, th- th- this is uh, in months. It's, it's been months since I've seen something of this high of quality, honestly, like, like it's that, it's that good of a film. Uh, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. Like I said, there are things in this, there are messages in this that kind of speak to today. And I, I mean, some of these people are some of the most recognized people in the world, you know, as far, especially as far as just for black people and stuff, just people who are trailblazers and were successes in this country so getting to see these actors play them with the with the same mannerisms the same gusto the same ideologies and seeing all these different people how they would mesh together how they might have argued about certain things where they may have stood on certain issues and things like that it really was a joy you know we we can't we don't know what really happened in that hotel room but like sterling said man if you you just feel like this is something that could have happened, that these are conversations these people would have had. And then it just mirrors so much, like I said, with a lot of the things going on today, conversations being had today, that it's just really, it, it, I think it's a must-see. And especially this being February, this being Black History Month, I really feel like this is kind of a must-see, especially if you know, you're in that mode and you're thinking about black people and you're reading about black contributions and you're just kind of reflecting on the, you know, um, the, the significance of different black people in this country and just the, the, the black influence on American culture. I think that this is definitely a movie that goes with that mindset that goes with kind of the 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 feeling that we have right now just given that this is february and everything but hey i don't care if it's march april may june july anytime's a good time to watch something like this it's that well made and it's that well acted so bravo to everybody involved and regina king uh hell yeah what a what a great start so now anytime regina king is directing something i'm gonna be in line you know now i gotta i'm gonna be in line to watch that movie because obviously she has the goods so yeah i'm gonna give it 97 jim brown's saying of course i can hear people outside because i'm jim motherfucking brown out of 100 (laughs) i mean i'll put it this way if you watch this movie and you don't recommend it fuck you movie's great like, I mean, it is what it is. The movie's fucking great. And, I mean, it's just one of those things where this movie, I think it, it's one of those things where it it's pivotal with a lot of these things. And as much as Jasmine was talking about how it's, you know, it's it's Black History Month and everything like that. And with those things, you need to watch this. Because 
I think that this showed elements of these people that are important to black history in ways that you don't typically learn about them. Like I was saying earlier with like Malcolm X, especially this is not the version of Malcolm X that white people know, but this is more true to what Malcolm or who Malcolm X was than you often see him portrayed. And I think that that is incredibly important for people to find out because I think he is severely misunderstood in a lot of ways. And I think some of the nuance has been lost on him in history. I think even the the way he's portrayed in a lot of ways, I think is still important. But I think the nuance is lost on him. And that's unfortunate because of how deep and complex he was when it came to something as important with, as, as civil rights. I think the nuance of Muhammad Ali is lost on a lot of people. Like, yeah, he was, he's a brash motherfucker. But, I mean, he wasn't telling lies. All I know is after he fought Sonny Liston, Sonny Liston was ugly and he was pretty. Exactly what he said would happen. <laughs> I mean, this movie, I think, tells an important story in history, even if it's untrue. For all we know, they could have sat in there and legitimately ate ice cream, talked about how good the fight was, talked about how good Sam Cooke's last single was, talked about how great of a season Jim Brown had, and how fucking amazing Malcolm, X, Malcolm X's glasses look. For all I know, that's what they could have talked about. That's what could have happened. But this is also an alternate version of what could have happened. And I think it's important to view it. It's probably one of the more important movies I feel to watch in a very long time. Uh, I'm actually going to give my score differently than I typically would. I'm going to give it a 99 out of 100. But with that, I'm going to give oh. my favorite Malcolm X quote. And that is, be peaceful, be courteous, obey the law, respect everyone. But if someone puts his hands on you, send him to the cemetery. Always loved that quote. Nice. <laughs> I think that that's like the side of him that people don't understand. Everybody always thinks he was militant and he was like wanting to be an aggressor. No, he wasn't an aggressor, but he was talking about just stand your ground, though. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't push them, but if they push you, you fucking hit them. I respect that. I get that. So that's that. Uh, spoilers? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really know how we spoil this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. them talking. Like, what do we do? Spoil a conversation they had? <laughs> right. I mean, no, Justin, I did. I loved that scene with Jim Brown. When he's like, oh, they're coming. And he's like, you heard them? Of course I heard them. I'm Jim motherfucking Brown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> loved it. Like, and I, I just. And, and speaking of. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying. And like, and I, and I loved how powerful that, that, that scene was with him with, uh, what's his name? Jeff Bridges' brother, uh, Bo Bridges. At the beginning of the movie, how like how when people say things like when it comes like regarding race and like it really kind of showed the whole like the mentality of when people say things like, oh, I've got black friends and how incredibly insensitive that is to actually what people are saying, I think is really encapsulated well with that scene at the beginning when Bo Bridges character is talking about how you're one of the best football players ever. You're going to stand the test of time. I am proud to be from the home of where you're from. Just singing his praises left and right. And then when he offered to go help move furniture, he's like, oh, you know, I don't let in words in the house. Mm -hmm. 
like not understanding that, yeah, you can have black friends or you can respect black people or this or that or all this other stuff, but now you can still kind of be a racist motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. And it was just such a powerful moment. Like that was just such a powerful scene, too, because it almost also, too, just kind of shows that, look, he Jim Brown is one of the most prolific football players that there's ever been. They were even talking during that conversation. He had ran for 1800 something yards now we just celebrated Derrick Henry for running over 2000 Jim this is the 60s and Jim Brown had ran for 1800 something so like just well and that's 14 games yeah those were 14 game seasons yeah so just to kind of put it look how close those numbers look how close Jim Brown was to like this record season that Derrick Henry just had this year so that just is mind-blowing and they're having this conversation and he's saying about he's talking about how and that Mr. Carlton or Carlton character the white guy is talking about how oh I respect you and just like Sterling said everything like that but at the end of the day (laughs) I'm white and you are black, and I am still superior to you. No matter, you can't even step foot in my house. Like, regardless of to you breaking all him. those records. To help Yeah, him. to help, yeah, to help him move some furniture. But regardless of all of that, regardless of anything you might do, any accomplishment you might have, I'll even look at you in the eye and tell you I'm proud of you. I'll even tell, sing your praises to people and say, oh yeah, I'm from his same hometown. He's popular. But at the end of the day, I am still superior to you because you are just an N-word and (laughs) I'm white. And I think That was just so powerful, you know, because this is Jim Brown and still to some whites, he it doesn't even matter what you do, even if you're greater than that person. The, the 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 that white supremacy can still reign no matter what, you know, and and and, and that was just so great like he said all those nice things but still felt superior to him you know and then later it's compounded when jim brown is talking to um was it malcolm or was it sam cook i, I want to say it was malcolm, malcolm. And, yeah yeah and he was talking about how some white people feel like they deserve a pat on the back just for being nice to black people like you know and then that analogy that line was so great like should you really get a congratulations you know should your dog congratulate you because just because you didn't kick it that day or something like that you know like there was a great line there and it all just kind of encapsulated what that what Jim Brown was feeling what that character was going through and I thought those were just great realizations about 
some of the white mentality that still exists today. You know, like Sterling said, if I have that friend, then it validates me somehow. But I can still but but I can still feel superior if I'm nice to them, if I like some of their pictures, if I (laughs) if I go cheer for them at a show or if I go, oh, yeah, um, he scored a great touchdown. But when push comes to shove, you can still be racist and still have those feelings of superiority. So that doesn't mean as much as we sometimes try to act like it does, you know? And especially what is so hard hitting about that is, is because it was just moving a dresser. Like it was, you know, literally Jim Brown offering to help a guy who's a grandfather and old move a dresser. Yeah. And he's like, no, I can't even accept that. I want to put on a sign that I'm from the same hometown as you, but motherfucker don't step in my house. Like, and just the look on his face, whenever he said that, like Jim Brown's face was so amazing the way he played that part. And like you said, Justin, I love that juxtaposition between those lines. He was saying or like later, because I love that analogy. He said, like, should a dog congratulate you because today you didn't kick it. Like that's just such a powerful way of phrasing it but a 100% accurate way of that mentality. And yeah, it's incredibly powerful, especially because I, I wonder, like, it's one of those things that's like, this movie, I think, phrases things in a very unique way that I do feel like, I say this, maybe I'm being optimistic, but could actually impact people in the way they think if they were actually willing to watch this movie. And maybe I'm being hopeful because... I guarantee there are some motherfuckers out there that could hear that shit and still think nothing of it, you know? And I do. And to. No, go go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. And all I was going to say is just that, that also on that scene, uh, Regina King's direction was great there too, because whenever he says, nope, no N words in the house and they go into the house there, she, there's a pan out scene where you just see Jim Brown standing in that inside of that doorway and the door is wide open, but he's outside. He can't get in. And there's just this just complete look of just like it's shock it's anger it's disdain and he just can't get through the door even though it's wide open you know i thought that was very powerful imagery too even though the door is wide open he can't get in you know it appears like he could go in but he can't you know that that was just more powerful visual storytelling oh it was that shot lingering on his face is fucking great yeah especially like you said the way it's framing it with the door still open and it's it's a wide open door and he can't step through and this is motherfucking jim brown in his heyday motherfuckers yeah yeah no i agree i mean and i what i was gonna say is i do feel bad because we are focusing so much on all these other people like in leslie odom did such an amazing job I just don't know that much about Sam Cooke. So like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't have as much of a point of reference with his character. Yeah. The only thing I know about him is his death <laughs> and what happened there, but nothing really. Yeah. I'm with you on that. 
so like and i do feel bad because i don't feel like i'm mentioning him as much as he should probably be mentioned because of how fucking good he was like i was saying as much as i'm raining praise on all these other people that really all the same things can be said about him because he did such an amazing job like i said there are no weak links in this and honestly the last thing i want to say right now at least is hollywood just all of hollywood and the the hollywood entertainment complex worldwide regina king better get fucking more directing jobs oh yeah better. for sure because all i know is when i'm watching one night in miami all i'm thinking is man if she directed little things it would have been fucking great <laughs> right because she knows how to tell a story she knows how to put things together she knows how to fucking get people to to do what they should do in a movie i mean she did more with what four settings than they did in the entire movie of little things. <sighs> yep. And it really kind of just shows like the little things that a director adds to a movie. Like me and Justin talked about that scene with that door frame and stuff like that. That's not an acting thing. That's a directorial thing. Don't get me wrong. The guy, yeah. the actor was doing great. He was doing what he was supposed to, but that shot, that's a director and that's the director and the, the director of photography, the cinematographer and the director being on the same fucking page. Mm -hmm. and shooting a fucking good movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I was saying, like the little things, this movie gets the little things right. The editing, the photography, the directing, all of that is cohesive as fuck. I don't feel like there's a single wasted scene in this movie. Yeah. I don't feel like there's a single wasted line. There's not a wasted plot point. There's not a wasted conversation. They fucking tell the story in the most impactful way i think you can and all i want to yeah. uh, and 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 all that makes me want to do is i want to see this movie as a fucking play i want to see the play because fucking great um justin go um man uh but but yeah well we i think we talked enough about that opening scene but um also like the boxing scenes uh with Muhammad Ali, all of those were great. Um, I, I enjoyed all of those too. The way that they looked, the the choreography, I thought was good. Um, ju just like I talked about, we've we've spoken a lot about um, this actor that played Muhammad Ali. But even in those scenes where he had to move like Muhammad Ali in the ring, Kingsley Benadir. The those scenes, man, he did a great job even doing that, moving and swaying around punches and all of the toying with his opponents and then just the quick jabs and then the 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 high stepping uh back and forth and shifting his feet and always seemed to be moving and swaying and going with the flow of the fight. All of that was encapsulated in those few scenes. So I just can't express enough how well th those were done. And um, his and one of the trainers, uh, Michael Imperioli, who you may know him from uh, 
Sopranos, Christopher Moltisanti in Sopranos. But yeah, man, I always like to see Michael Imperioli and, you know, they had a good dynamic in those scenes and everything too. So even before we get to the hotel and have the infamous conversation that we're going to have, I mean, even those scenes were very good. All of those establishing scenes of each of the actors or the people, the character, I say characters, but you know, the people, all of those establishing scenes where we got to see Sam cook at a, at the Copa, at the Copa Cabana. And then we got to see, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali fighting. We got to see Jim Brown, you know, we got to see all of them in an element before they got together. So I think all of those were well shot. They were well done. It it, it really was great about establishing everyone and then giving you an idea of where they were at this moment in their lives. So when everybody gets to these conversations and they're passionately talking about what they're doing or this or that, and you're hearing these debates back and forth, uh, you just feel more invested. You feel like you understand where every person is coming from. And really, man, this just lives and breathes on those debates, like the Sam Cooke debate with Malcolm X, when Malcolm X is talking about, man, you need to use your voice to, 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 and be more, and talk about this more. You need to talk about black rights. You need to say things that will motivate change. You you could be a powerful advocate for change. And then Sam Cooke kind of turning that around on Malcolm and arguing back saying, well, I may not be doing it the way you're doing it, but I am an advocate for change. The having my own label and the royalties that I get off of each song, even though I gave them one of my artists' songs and, and the white people and the and they copied it and everything. And even though that record went number one, the royalties that we're receiving off of it and everything like that, just the back and how me being more independent and me having my label company and doing those things does help the cause. My, I may not be doing it the way you are, Malcolm, but I'm still helping the cause. I'm still innovating. I'm still paving a path for other people. So I just loved all of that. Like all of that, all of those philosophical conversations were just great. And like Heather said earlier, I like what she said when she said, every frame of this, the time was just well utilized. So you just felt like all of those arguments mattered. What everybody was saying mattered. It didn't try to paint someone as right or wrong, but you really just walked away going, man, everyone's concerns even though they are on different type even different sides of the spectrum in a way were valid. You felt like everybody's passion, what everybody spoke about was valid. But man, um, when Malcolm was talking to Sam Cooke in that argument and he was talking about, you know, we don't have time for anybody to straddle the fence and that whole and that passionate moment that he had, that monologue where he was talking about 
you it's time to say what side you're going to be on. We can't keep straddling the fence. It, you, If you're going to be about this, you have to stand for it. You have to be about it. It has to be in everything that you do. And there has to be a sense of urgency and just everything that he was saying and the passion that he spoke with and the and the actor. um Kingsley on that on those scenes, man, there was just a part like you could hear the tears coming in his voice, like the way he was talking. You could tell that he was speaking so passionately that it was affecting him and and the tears hadn't arrived. But you could hear the way his voice sounded and how it would muddle a bit. And when he was talking, but still holding that strength, but at the same time showing that passion and you could feel that the emotions were coming as he was speaking. It was just so excellently done, man. Like I just can't harp enough. The, the, to me, that was another just powerful scene that that was just great. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into every philosophical debate that was had, but really that is the meat of this movie, so to speak. Back to the food analogies, I guess. But, the Wagyu. Yeah, the Wagyu. Uh, that, that's what, that's really what this movie is built on is those debates and hearing everybody's perspective and how different and then seeing all the different perspectives that these different black people have, even though they're all successful, even though they're all friends, even though they all respect each other and have accomplished so much among individually hearing those different viewpoints and hearing where everybody comes from and then seeing some of those ideologies clash. It just really like Sterling was talking about. This is a movie that can teach lessons. I think it really got a lot of good black perspectives in there. And there were just so many things that are pertinent to understanding black people, the light skin versus dark skin type of, um, uh, uh, analogy that was made when Jim Brown was talking about that and talking about how how they're seen and how even in the black community sometimes certain skin tones are treated or seen differently. So even a little bit of that was in there. We talked about like sometimes the the preconceived notions that some white people have and how sometimes the generosity is seen as something they feel they should be rewarded for. That's in there. Uh the 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 opposing views of how sometimes black people argue about how to fight this war on racism, this war on equality, so to speak, and the different viewpoints of how to attack this. One wants to attack it head on and wants to use every platform possible to say something about this issue. And then you got to see another person talk about, well, is that really the best way is to make everybody mad? No, we have to, you have to shake hands sometimes. You have to, you have to smile sometimes. You have to get in a position of power and then you can influence it more. All of these things are discussed in this movie. And, and I think that is really the crux of it and, and is what ultimately makes it so important. And, and like we've all said, all of it is, there's no wasted motion in this. All of those 
arguments are are handled with care and I don't and I think Regina and her team did such a great job of not trying to make you side one way or the other it just presents all of these things and say and sort of says look all of these things are important to understanding this struggle what it was then and especially what it is now Heather what about you yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it's just there's not anything in this to not like. <laughs> I also really liked that that moment when they all go down to that bar and and you know Malcolm takes that picture, you know, like that famous picture that you see. I, I thought that was a really cool scene and a good way to show like what happened at that time. Um, it's it really is just like everybody really plays off of everybody else really well. Like the the dynamic and the chemistry between these four is so great. And um and, and it's interesting because like, yeah, really throughout this whole movie, what you're seeing is just the really human and relatable side to each of these guys, no matter how influential, no matter what their struggles were, whatever it is, they were just very human and very real with each other and just very relatable as people. You know, again, kind of, I think it was Jastin who was saying, you know, it's not trying to portray somebody as right or wrong or anything like that. It's just laying out the situations of, hey, this is what it is and I want to talk about it. And this is what I think about it. This is what I don't like about it or whatever it may be. And honestly, probably the the least redeemable character of the four is Sam Cooke, just like based off of how he was portrayed as just a very like, I want to get, I want to get mine. I want to be famous. I want to leave everything behind. I want to feel like I'm better than other people is kind of his mentality that he has. But Leslie Odom Jr. is just so charming <laughs> and it just, it works. Like he's the least redeemable, but he's still very much like, you're just like, man, you know, I, I still root for you. You know, <laughs> like it's just one of those things where every Every person brought so much to where you, this is how you, this is how you build characters. This is how you write characters, you know? Um, and maybe, I don't know if it would be more or less of a challenge that they are actual people. <laughs> and so you have a little bit more to go off of as to how do they move? How do they walk? How do they think? But either way, there's also that extra added like degree of, I better get this right. <laughs> people, people know these people. These are historical people. Like you want to honor that as much as you can. And I feel like Regina King really honored them, uh, honored who these, who these people were and put them in just the best possible light and really just, just kind of laid it all out there. And, um, I just, I just think it was so, so well crafted, but also, like you guys were saying, just the conversations, all of them were relevant. All of them were pertinent to what was going on and to each other's lives. And it just felt like an actual conversation that a group of friends would be having of like, this is what I'm dealing with. Maybe it speaks to somebody else. You know, you fight, you, you disagree on things, but you come together and you respect each other anyway. And that's just kind of what all of these guys had for each other. And I feel like you really see it a lot with Malcolm X and Sam Cooke and how they were just very opposite people in a lot of ways, 
but there was that mutual respect that they had. And I loved the part when, you know, Malcolm is telling the story about seeing uh, Sam Cooke at one of his shows. And I, I just thought that was a really awesome setup and really cool kind of way to show, um, you know, like I do have this respect for you and I do realize like how important you are. Um, even if he says stuff like, you know, stop being on the fence, you know, it was just a very, like everybody like spoke into everybody else's life in some way in that group of friends. And I just thought that was really, really cool. And like, man, I just really wish this was all the real situation of what happened that night when they were all together. (laughs) Like nobody knows, but I really, I honestly, like Sterling said, I feel like this is so it it feels like this this would be exactly how that went down so um it just really honored and respected the these historical figures and you know their their individual like professions and what they meant for those professions and just the importance of who they were at that time in history and i just yeah, there's I mean, there's just there's nothing I can really say about this movie that I'm like, they could have done this differently. I honestly don't think I would have changed anything with how they did it because it was just very well done. You know, it wasn't overly long. It wasn't boring at any point, even when the whole movie is just four guys in a room talking. You're just enthralled the entire time. And it's just really a testament to yeah, Regina King of like, yep, this is how <laughs> this is how you make a movie. This is how you tell a story. So I, I'm just really floored by how good this movie is. And I just I'm gonna be bummed out if it doesn't get as you know, the, the recognition that it really deserves. But I think Sterling's probably right. It probably will get a little bit over overshadowed and overlooked. But it's just like, Man, like it really it's those performances that really like they grab your soul because they're putting everything into this and the passion behind it. And it's honestly like there's nothing bad about this movie in any sort of way. I I honestly I can't think of anything that I could want to change in in that at all. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of yeah, it's one of those I'd watch it again and again. You know, I don't often want to watch, you know, dramas over and over again. But this one, I feel like you're going to take something away from it every time you watch it, just in the conversations and just kind of uh, revering the performances even more every time. I just feel like it's a rewatch for sure. So yeah, it's just a really, really phenomenal and very timely movie. Because yeah, Jason, you're right. I think a lot of the stuff they discuss and things like that, it's still very important in today's age and very real in today's age. And so it's just very, very on time for, for just something that we need right now. So yeah, it's just great. You guys have any more thoughts about this movie? I do not. No, sir. All right. I'm glad we ended on a high note. Me too. I like the order we did it. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, I mean, who doesn't want to end the night with some Wagyu and some La Bonette potatoes? Exactly. Man, I want to eat that. That'd be the most expensive <laughs> meal ever. But I want to eat right? it. I'm sure there's oh, and somewhere it's also, that has it. It's also interesting or 
I like I don't know if anyone knew this, but Kingsley Benadir is British. So I don't know. I just think it's like his performance of Malcolm X is less like, oh, okay, you never would know that. So it's interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. Right. Uh, the one fun fact I know is he was originally actually offered the role of Muhammad Ali and he turned it down to play Malcolm X. Nice. He's he hmm. was. Yeah, that was a good call, though, because he's a perfect Malcolm X. Yeah. And the funny thing is, too, while I was watching it, I was like, man, I think this guy would also play a really good Obama. And apparently he played Obama in something, right? too, like right afterwards. Or like, really? <laughs> like he's played Obama oh. before in a movie. So I was like, oh, well, there we go. Now I'm not yeah, crazy. I can see that. I can totally see that. I was just the way he talked and everything like that. I was like, oh, he could play a good Obama. And he did. And yeah, like, oh. he had that voice down, like in the the mannerisms, everything was dead on. He's just yeah. a more attractive version of these historical figures. That's about it. Everything else is the same. In a movie called The Comey Rule, which is about James Comey, the FBI director. Uh, yeah, he plays Obama in that. Nice. So I felt I felt slight vindication when I saw that. I was like, ah, oh, nailed it. I'm not crazy. So, but on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where we're Cinema Slayers podcast, Twitter, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers, Twitter and Instagram. If I didn't say that, I don't remember. Uh, give us a rating and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. If you can, if you can't, you should just send them an email saying, hey, you should add this feature so I can do this. And it'd be just really great. And then, I don't know, this is a long episode, so I'll just go ahead and end it. Just remember, guys, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the Best Picture winner. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, party in the city where the heat is on all night on the beach to the break of dawn. Welcome to Miami, Winovitas, I'm Miami. Bouncing in the club when the heat is on all night on the beach to the break of dawn. I'm going to Miami. Welcome to Miami. I do like how this episode went full circle in a lot of ways. A lot of food talk. <laughs> we talked, you know, right. you started with uh, Will Smith. I brought him up with Ali. Just lots of full circle. You know, Denzel in one movie and talking about Denzel portraying a different character in another one. Just lots yeah. of circles. Yeah, that's true. And also, the uh, you worked in the beat of the song with our song, so good job on that. I'm not giving him credit for I that know, shit. Right? <laughs> oh man, I'm not giving I was wondering where you were going to go with it, and you 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 made it work. I mean, you followed the beat of what was playing. That's okay. I'm not giving you <laughs> congratulations for just following the beat. <laughs>